On the Way Home is proudly supported by Ellis Dong Community Builders, a group formed within the Ellis Dong group of companies to assist those who wish to deliver affordable and sustainable housing by providing development management services and leveraging Ellis Dong's turnkey cradle-to-grave project capabilities. We incorporate all that a world-leading development, construction, and building services company has to offer to provide innovative and sustainable developments that connect and energize communities. Our offering is not simply a development and construction solution. It's a holistic and comprehensive approach that ensures the delivery of assets that communities can be proud of. To learn more, please visit www.communitybuilders.ellisdon.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home's Special Election 44 series. Join co-host Stefania Secha from the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door as they interview various experts about the critical election issues related to Canada's housing and homelessness crises. Be informed when you head to the polls. Now enjoy this special election episode of On The Way Home. All right, so welcome everyone. Welcome Michelle and Debbie. Thank you so much. We so appreciate your time today. Uh, can't wait to get your views on, on everything. What we're going to do today is we're going to have a fun conversation about uh, your views <laughs> and this election and, and your experience. And uh, what we'll do at the beginning, um, we'll start off and uh, Steph and I will just do a little banter back and forth. I'm going to introduce you um, and I'm going to try and do a good job of that. Then we're going to say welcome <laughs> to the show and then we'll just ask some questions. Now, usually we'll kind of say, uh, because there's three of you, so we don't talk over each other. We'll say, this is the question. Uh, we'll start with Al and then go to Michelle and then Debbie. That's the first question anyways. Um, right. And we'll just go from there. But listen, this is just a fun conversation. Don't worry about edits or mistakes or anything like that. So, um, and if, if you're not talking, if we could ask you just to, to mute, um, just so we don't get any background noise in there uh, going forward. Does, that, does anyone have any questions? No, straightforward. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to this. And at the end, we'll say thanks for coming on the show. And then we'll just do, uh, Steph and I do a little wrap up, talk about how amazing you all were. And that's the end of the show. So we're looking at uh, 30 to 40 minutes tops. And let's just have some fun with it too. Uh, I think this is, this is a fun show. We are banking on you to tell us how you feel and share your uh, lived experience. Sound good? Okay, so I will count myself in um, and I'll just start. That works for you, Steph? Works for me. All right, all right. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am one of your hosts, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And as always, I am joined by the amazing Stefania from the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Steph, how are you doing? I'm good, Michael. Really excited that the election is sooner than later. Um, just vote housing. It's been really, really crazy keeping up with everything. Um, but uh, yeah, excited it's around the corner. But how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, you're making a difference. I mean, uh, we heard from uh, some from the vote housing campaign, and they were saying that you know at the beginning of the campaign they really didn't think that housing would be one of the number one issues. Uh, they were hoping to get it in there, and now it is. So it works. Hey, you know, yeah. the world, that hard work is paying off. It is front and center. People are asking questions. Uh, people, as we've seen, people are angry. People are scared. Uh, people want to know what the different parties are going to do. How people are feeling. And uh, I think you've really helped push it to the, the forefront. So congratulations on that. Yeah, I think I think what made the difference is it's a coalition of so many amazing people across the country and organizations who've been doing this. And it was just about kind of collecting together to focus and really get to the federal candidates and the parties to get them to listen, because housing's been and homelessness have been issues for 
decades now. So it's not new. It's always been a problem. But I think what's different this time is um, we're starting to work together, you know, across the country in a way that um, is undeniable um, for camp campaigns and, and federal parties to ignore like like they kind of used to. Um, and so what we're seeing the parties start to promise is a great start, but there's definitely a lot more work to do. And that's why I'm really excited about the election series we've been doing. And I am particularly, and have been really looking forward to today's conversation with the incredible folks that we have who've been kind enough to join us. So perhaps you would like to introduce them. Yeah, it's a, a great segue. And you mentioned amazing people um, as part of the Vote Housing Campaign. Uh, we have some amazing people on the show today, and let me tell you about them. First, we have Michelle Boone, who is 50 years old and worked for the school board for 25 years, but due to a back injury and a large mass on her kidney, she was unable to continue working. She experienced homelessness for six years. Some of her hobbies are reading, arts and crafts, and supporting people in the community, which is why she works for In From the Cold in York Region, because she loves giving back, and thank you, Michelle, for doing that. And we, as well, have Debbie McGraw, who's the co-chair of the Canadian Lived Experience Leadership Network. Debbie's strength from this work came from her own lived experiences. She's worked tirelessly since 1995 on eliminating poverty in Saskatchewan, as well as in Canada. She spent many years as an advocate, activist, and researcher on social issues, such as housing, homelessness, women's issues, and poverty. And last but not least, we have Al Weeb. Al is the co-chair of the Canadian Lived Experience Leadership Network, the other co-chair. He spent 26 months homeless on the streets of Winnipeg. Now he's a 24-7 advocate for the homeless and those in poverty. He is the chair of the Lived Experience Circle in Winnipeg, and Al directs a lived experience-led empathy-driven housing program in Winnipeg, Toronto, and Vancouver, and is a part of many boards and organizations, and hosts a local radio show called A No Fix Address. Michelle, Debbie, Al, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank the three of you, honestly, so much for making time today. I know it's a hectic time for us all. The pandemic has not made it easier. Um, so really taking the time to sit down with us, can't begin to tell you how much we appreciate it. Um, <sighs> And so, so obviously this is part of our special election series and it's been so important to center lived experts when we talk about the election and the promises being made. Um, and, I, and I know you folks agree and, and we're quite a few weeks into the election now with September 20th right around the corner. And my first question to all of you is, you know, as far as you've seen what you've seen on the campaign trails, what you've seen in the news, have the parties gone far enough with their promises when it comes to ending homelessness? And maybe Al, we'll start with you and then Michelle and Debbie. Sure. First, I want to say it's it's a real privilege to be here, and, and I just want want to um, just uh, give kudos to Steph. She's the unsung hero behind Vote House. Unbelievable genius in communications, and, and this would not be where it is today with the twenty some odd thousand supporters and endorsing her religion. Thanks, Steph, for 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 what you've done uh, on that and bringing it to the forefront uh, and into the consciousness of of uh, the Canadian public. Thank you so much. Had to say that. Um, yeah, have have the parties have the parties uh, gone far enough? Uh, I I did watch the debate last night with the five parties and and their representatives, and I was I was uh, two things struck me. Uh, two parties: the Green Party with uh, uh, Risk, I believe, and also um, uh, the NDP with uh, Jenny Kwan. Now, uh, what what the, what the Green Party did was say. Um, they were the only party that guaranteed uh, mandates or policies that would uh, would guarantee um, housing geared to income or low income housing. They're the only party that said we will put in place policies that will do this. No other party said that. They also said that they would uh, put in guardrail policies to um, uh, guarantee that financialization would be slowed and it was uh, for, for for me for, for somebody to say we are going to guarantee that and put policies in place uh well, you know meant something to me because um you know paul's <laughs> government policies put in place homelessness in 1993 uh when they stopped uh, the building of subsidized housing 
Um, I was part of the subsidized housing thing. I did a lot of construction work on those housing units in Mandel, thousands of units. Then all of a sudden they came to a halt. And um, that was because the, the federal government said, we're not doing this anymore. And look, look where we are today. We have camps exploding you know, all over cities everywhere. We have unaffordable housing. We have financialization taking over. Uh, um, you know, turning um, subs uh, subsidized housing and even um, market housing into uh, housing that is not affordable by many. We have 40,000 people earning $40,000 a year sleeping in their cars in Vancouver and Toronto because um, they cannot afford uh, to, to, to actually have housing. The world, Canada is in a major, major crisis these days with the housing situation. And that, that, that um, point made by the Green Party was, uh, you know, meant a lot to me because they will say, we are going to do this. No other party said anything like that. And secondly, uh, one way to reduce homelessness by preventing people from falling back into it is by building in a minimum income, a national minimum income policy that makes uh, you know, everybody uh, not on welfare rates by, or raise their welfare rates to, 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 to the $15 an hour, whatever that rate is. We need a minimum income. And um, Jenny Kwan brought that up and she's the only one that did. And the conservatives actually said, no, we're not gonna do that. Um, no, the parties did not go far enough yesterday by, by a long shot and, and, and uh, are not really addressing hardcore uh, issues, but the, the NDP did with a minimum income, which I was uh, really happy about it, as well as the, um, the Green Party with their mandated policies. Nobody else did that. Two things to look forward to, you know. Thank you. Thanks, Al. And Michelle, yeah, from what you've noticed, same question. Do you feel like the parties are going far enough? I don't think they are. They need to realize that there's a lot of people out there that um, are very low income, but there's also a lot of places out there that are abandoned. What are we doing with all these abandoned buildings? Why don't we try and get them fixed up and make them affordable for people that are on the street or help them get off the street? I don't see a lot of them going for something like that. Because in Aurora, we have a Howard Johnson. They want to make it into a retirement center. Why not make it affordable housing? There's abandoned houses all through Aurora, Richmond Hill, Toronto. What are we doing with them? There's a lot of them being torn down. Some of them can't fix them up and make them for someone and have that person, just like Habitat for Humanity, have that person help out to build the, fix it up to build it even in apartment buildings, abandoned apartment buildings. They need to realize there's a lot of things out there that they can do. And I don't see a lot of the parties even offering those types of suggestions. And I'd like to see someone in their party spend one day on the street in the winter time, especially, and find out, even take your family. You can't find shelters for families that much. It's more for the men and the women, but not a lot for families. And they're not realizing that there's a lot of youth, uh, middle age, and now even the elderly are on the street and they're not helping a lot. And they're not making suggestions like taking buildings and all that and making them affordable. I'd like to see them try that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great point. I think seeing more innovative solutions is definitely not something we've been seeing. Thanks for that, no. Michelle. No. Yeah. Um, Debbie, same question. I also, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Nice to meet you, Michelle. I haven't met you before and Michael. Um, didn't you say you weren't Michael though? <laughs> uh, anyway, I watched the debate last night also, and I want to touch a little bit on what Michelle was saying, because I was looking for something in particular and I never heard any of the parties mention it. You know, they're talking about bringing in all these policies and doing all these things. But I was particularly watching for any of them to say that they were going to work with the provinces and bring the provinces on board. Because it doesn't matter what they do for housing and what kind of money they put into it. If the provinces are not on board and willing to change their policies, none of this is going to work. Um, I work as a housing case manager. Um, so I work with the homeless. We're seeing, we have two of us, we have a 30 people wait list right now. 
And we're seeing an influx of families, of single dads, of seniors. So I totally agree with what Michelle's saying. What are they doing with the abandoned buildings? What are they doing about provincial policies? Because the social services rates are not high enough to, you know, get people into safe, affordable housing. And I didn't see any of that. And so I'm hoping that, you know, somewhere along the line, that's going to come into play. Well said, Debbie, well said. And, you know, we've talked about this before, that federally you can make a lot of promises. If you don't have the provinces and the municipalities on board, uh, many of those promises can't transpire. Like they just won't happen, right? Um, all right, so we, we haven't seen uh, solutions to homelessness on offer in the same way you've seen a lot of promises related to housing. We're talking about making uh, home ownership affordable. Uh, we've also seen the term affordable being used and, and quite often we're, you know, uh, what follows that is affordable to who. Uh, if you were helping a party decide what the promises were gonna be, what would you tell them to include or consider if they really wanted to make an impact? This time we're gonna start with you, Debbie, then we'll go to Al and then to Michelle. Well, what I like to see is the um, social services rates increase to the actual cost of living. Um, landlords, um, some rent controls. And for low-income housing, the 30%, for people who are working for minimum wage, that 30% is based on your overall, I always mix up gross and net pays. So that 30% is based on your total pay before deductions. It's not based on your take-home pay. So that needs to change. That 30% needs to be based on take-home pay, not what you make because it's what you bring home is a lot less than what you actually make once all the deductions are done. Um, so that's what I'd like to see is that some changes around that 30% around social services policies and you know more rent control. Thanks, Debbie. Al, your thoughts? Whoops, there we go, sorry. Um, first of all, again, like you mentioned, Michael, uh, what is affordable? Uh, we need to change, and I'm stressing this at every level. I, I, I really uh, stressed it before the debate last night that somewhere along the line during that debate, um, the, question, uh, the, the term um, housing geared to income needs to be uh, put, in, put into the debate. Uh, and um, it's, you know, again, Somebody making ten thousand dollars a month, uh, their affordability is a lot different than a person making eight hundred dollars a month. We need housing, as Deb said, thirty percent of income. We need housing geared income at a fixed rate of thirty percent. Um, there can't be anything else that that works. I mean, and we are so short on housing geared income units right now. Uh, there's not. We're at the lowest. Uh, build rates since 1991 on on um, you know housing geared income build rates and so we need to change that. Uh, the sooner we get start on that, uh, the better off we'll be. And we'll have people on housing. We can't take people off the street and expect them to pay eight to nine hundred bucks a, a month. Uh, our, our city of Winnipeg has uh, uh, has built or is in the process of building um, uh, quote unquote affordable housing and that is 75 percent of the market which does not help people living, uh, you know, or does not help people living uh, beneath the poverty line or the people that we intend to bring off the street and put into housing. That simply has to change. Uh, and we, we need, right right now, uh, the, the government comes in day one, they need to put a stop to, a stop to flipping subsidized housing and, and uh, moderate market rate housing uh, into, into financialized units. Um, and you know, I think that, um, and we we need also now to really, really focus on money for funding for permanent housing. We have spent over the last number of years. I sit on community advisory board in Winnipeg. I know where the money is going. It's going into programming. It's going into transitional housing. Neither. Uh, I mean, sure, we we need program, but we also need to start putting money into housing. We need to do that five years ago. That's why we're in the place we are today. Uh, Permanent housing dollars need to be put into place right now. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Michelle, what are your thoughts? Well, 
rent is unaffordable places. Like if you're on OW, you're only making $7.33 a month. And if you have a part-time job and you make over $200, you get deducted. Your rent's $7.50. How are you supposed to pay for rent? How are you supposed to pay for food? How are you supposed to pay for your phone or whatever you need when you're only making a small amount? And if you get a job, you get that deducted off of your pay. So they need to make it so that it's a roundabout. And if you do get a job, if it's over, say, $400 you make, then you start getting deducted, not a low amount. And they should be encouraging you, hey, if you've got a job, good for you. Here's a bit more incentive. I'll give you another $100 if you can keep this job for a couple months. Because some people, they'll get a job, realize that they're not getting paid if they call for it and they quit their job well if they give you an incentive to keep going that might help boost but they need to raise their ow and they need to raise their odsp because that's the hardest part when you're on that and your rent's like 750 or 800 or 900 you can't afford that without a part-time job and then you're being deducted they need to realize hey and not just that People, as soon as they find out that you're on OW or ODSP, they don't want to take you in. They've got to realize that if you are on ODSP, they pay for your rent or OW, they'll put that money and you might have to pay 200 out of your own pocket, but whatever your rent is, they'll help pay for it. And they've got to raise that amount too, that they help with paying for because it's out there, affordable, what's affordable? 750 is not affordable, 800 is not affordable. For one bedroom, you're paying $500 to $1,200 for a one bedroom. How can you afford that if you're only making $700, $800? You can't afford 1,200. So they've got to really consider what they are putting out there and how much people are making to realize that, hey, affordable, no, that's not affordable. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I think you raise a really, really excellent point. And I, I think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, the federal parties can promise a lot, but it really comes down to provincial municipal level, particularly provincial, like, like you were mentioning um, with the ODSP and, and OW and such that like wh whoever's in power at the federal level really needs to get working with the provinces and pulling in the same direction because when they're all kind of working in different directions, we're just seeing so much more fall through the cracks. So I think I think that's a really excellent point that you bring up. Um, and so so my next next question to all three of you again, you know, is is when you folks go to cast your ballot, and I am not asking you to share who you're voting for. I'm very private on who I like to vote for, so I would never ask. Um, but instead, what I'm hoping to ask or, or get from, from you folks to share is, is what are you looking for from your local candidates when you go to make your decision at that local level? So yeah, Michelle, uh, let's get back with you and then Debbie and Al. Someone that will truly keep their word saying, okay, we're gonna help you with affordable housing. We're gonna help you with this. I wanna see it all in action, what you are saying. And not just that, how do you, um, people that are on the streets, how are they supposed to vote? You've just lost over a thousand people voting because they've got no address. So how are these people supposed to vote? I'd like to see them say, hey, if you don't have a fixed address, but you've got some form of ID, come in and vote. I'd like to see them uh, offer that to the people on the streets because they're losing thousands of votes. It'd be nice to see them keep their word and to try and help them get in their votes to say, hey, this party says they're gonna do this, we're trusting you. You're wanting us to vote for you, we'll vote, let us vote. But if they could do that, then it's a party that I will vote for. That's Thank an you. awesome point, Michelle. Thank you. And Debbie, yeah, what are you looking for in your local candidates? Well, I haven't made a decision on who I'm going to vote for yet. Um, I have to echo Michelle because I'm looking for somebody who's, I've been an avid NDPer for years, but the last few years, you know, it's been like, who's going to keep their word? Who's going to do what they say they're going to do? 
who's going to work with community, who's going to get involved, um, and who's going to, you know, work to change things to help get people off the streets and into homes. You know, that's a priority for me because of what I do as a living too. So I'm totally echo everything Michelle said in terms of what I'm looking for. And so far, I haven't seen that in any of our candidates yet. The Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness has a brand new collection of cozy home clothing. We've collaborated with My Home Mercantile, a stylish Canadian small business, and designer Meg Davis to bring you Helping Home Apparel. By shopping, you are supporting a growing movement that is helping communities across the country prevent, reduce, and end homelessness. Visit MyHomeMercantile.com to order your new apparel and make a difference today. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. I, yeah, I, uh, I am very, very fortunate to have a candidate that I truly believe in, in, in this ward, uh, in my ward. Um, this is a candidate who believes in lived experience, which is number one in my book, because, and she thinks like a person with lived experience. And this, uh, yeah, we need a person with character and strength of, of uh, uh, will and, and spirit that, that can stand up in Parliament, as my candidate has, and said, and, and talked about lived experience in parliament for crying out loud and uh, pushing uh, lived experience and standing up in parliament and talking about minimum income and trying to get a motion passed through uh, on minimum income. You know, we, we I, I have a candidate with heart and I, I look number one for heart. Number two uh, is the candidate willing to get down in the dirt, talk, walk, walk on the streets, talk to the folks in the camps, uh, talk to, to any, anybody on the street that will listen. And really listen, and um, and we need candidates right across the country who do that. And uh, again, if, if you have the heart, uh, I'll look for that. If you um, look for knowledge, uh, because you lived experience, you won't have the intimate knowledge. But if you're, if the candidate is willing to listen to people with lived experience and um, really uh, fight for the um, for the misjustices that are done on the lower levels, and fight for the, those that are living in you know, beneath the poverty line, which, uh, you know, in our ward is the case where the poorest coastal code in the entire country. And so we need to adjust that, you know, be in that thinking mode. And um, yes, um, heart is number one for me and being able to really relate to folks and listen, uh, not just listen, not just hear, but, but really osmos what people are saying. And um, that's what I look for. And I am very, very fortunate to have that, you know, person as my candidate in this ward. Thank you. Thanks, Al. And listen, what I hear, the common theme is heart and people, the way to people's heart is actually keep your word and keep your promises, someone with real core values. I can see that. Uh, now, for our next question, Michelle, you touched on this a little bit. It was a great segue. It's like you knew we were going to ask this question. Um, there's a saying, too, that, that often, and Al, you mentioned this, really nothing should happen for us without us. Meaning, listen to your constituents, listen to the people with lived experience. How are you going to make decisions or make promises for people mm -hmm. if you don't really know what the, the issue is? Now, Michelle, you mentioned accessibility, right? For mm -hmm. many people who are experiencing homelessness, um, it's not accessible for them to vote. They might not have a fixed address. Uh, given what the parties are promising, you know, there might not even be an incentive for them to, to try and push past not having an address. Um, what are some ways we can make it more accessible? What, what are some incentives? Well, incentives are good promises there, but how can we make it more accessible for people without a fixed address to vote and have their voices heard? Uh, this yeah. time we'll go with, uh, we'll start with you, Al, then we'll go to Debbie and Michelle. Yeah, um, ironically or incidentally, I am currently working on, uh, on this very issue with the vote housing team. Um, I have um, 
uh, and, and I have a couple of volunteers that we have actually registered uh, roughly 85 people to vote, but it's a three-step program. There's a, uh, a uh, there's three steps to this. One, you have to get registered. Two, you have to have ID. And three, you have to have a place to vote. And um, uh, the second part of things is, you know, leading people into to the places where they can get their ID that, you know, allows them to vote. Um, and, you know, uh, it is a lot easier. And you go to Elections Canada and, and go over all the, all the um, uh, things that need to be done there uh, to, to actually get people to vote. But uh, working with the shelters to, um, in the core area, to have one or two polling units right there. Where people don't have to go outside of the area to vote. Um, <clears throat> we have to do everything possible to make it easier. And we're in that process right now. We're not sure whether we get everything all done by the time election comes around, but we're working on it. But we have to give them the option. Um, their vote is way more important than ours is because their lives are on the line. You know, we, we, we also have worried about housing and that kind of thing, but folks are living on the street. You know, it's a day-to-day -day proposition whether you might make it through or not. And so their vote is, is extremely important to the, the entire um, fabric of, of the whole voting issue. And so we have to do what we can to get these folks uh, ready to vote. And uh, whether they use that franchise or not, that's their um, business. But we can also encourage them to do that. And sometimes it's gonna take a little bit of encouragement to get a person who maybe hasn't voted for 10 years or never at all in their entire life. Um, but we can tell them that this is a way that maybe, maybe we can change the way things are for you. Uh, and again, this leads into the last question about Incento. Uh, that's a really gray area question because the way things have been going over the last number of years uh, in, in the Christian homeless issue, it's, it's, it's not gone well. Our numbers are expanding. I mean, COVID has played a huge part in that and uh, you know, other factors as well and financialization. But um, you know, we can always give hope, right? Uh, hope is the one big word that, and I, whenever I speak, I use that word hope because hope is the one word that is universal for the homeless, for the people experiencing homelessness. Um, you have to hang on to that. And if we can give them hope that, yeah, wow, you know, things haven't been good, but you, you know, there are signs that maybe things will turn around. And, you know, some parties are, are, are promising these things. We'll just see what happens. But, you know, you have to use that word hope for folks, you know, and, and whether it's, um, you know, whether the incentives are, are enough uh, is really, really questionable today. Uh, but, you know, we have to um, let folks know that, um, you know, we are, we are hoping for better things to come. Thanks, Al. Debbie, your thoughts? Well, I, I think that I need, I, I understand the idea of them having to have ID to vote, but, I think that's got to change because a lot of the homeless don't have ID. They don't have any ID. They don't have any papers. They don't. And it, it's a process to get that for them and they can't afford the cost to get it. Um, so I was going to say what Al had mentioned was that I think that polls, polling stations need to be brought into the shelters and into places like the YWCA where the women stay and into the men's shelters and into seniors homes. And, you know, even if they send two people to these organizations or these places where they can sit for the day and people have the opportunity to vote so that everybody's voice is getting heard. Because it's true, it's nothing about us without us, but a lot of these voices are not getting heard. And so that's what I would like to see happen. I know some of our candidates have arranged volunteers and stuff to pick up seniors and to pick up homeless, but that's not very successful. It doesn't work. So we need to change the way the voting, the whole entire way the voting criteria is and the way it's done. Well said, Debbie, Michelle, any, any thoughts to add? Well, we're fortunate here in Newmarket, in from the cold, actually for the uh, people in the uh, shelters can come here and vote. And they actually do offer every now and then um, an ID clinic where they can get ID. But the problem is the purple cards here are $35.
Some people don't have that $35, but they can at least get a birth certificate or something to prove. This in from the cold here is trying to help out, but I'd like to see Blue Door. I would like to see uh, Belinda's. I would like to see all the other like craftsmen, different places like that, shelters open their doors to say, hey, you want to vote? Here you go. Yes, we do know this person. Yes, this person is that. Because they know a lot of the people on the street. They might not have ID, but a lot of the people that work at these shelters know the people and they can verify for them who they are. That way they can say, yes, this is so-and-so. Yes, they've been on the street this long. We are working on trying to get them some type of an ID. Please let them vote. But I don't see that happening and it needs to happen. And the one thing is, I'm glad that In From The Cold has offered that to the people here. That's the one thing that I'm grateful for. Uh, in From The Cold in York Region does amazing work and it's to no surprise that they are doing that. I can say too, Michelle, that uh, Blue Door is actually working with Elections Canada. So we are able to vouch for people and get them kits and then they fill them out. We mail them in, they drop it off back and forth. They're having some trouble, I think, going in because of COVID into places this year, which also is going to miss a lot of votes, not just for people experiencing homelessness, but students, etc. So that has uh, a lot of people uh, worried. All great points. Now, listen, and all of you uh, have been very open about your experiences with homelessness and you know uniquely and firsthand what it means not to have a safe place to call home. Uh, this is something many, not all of course, but many of our politicians can relate to. So when these candidates become our next MPs after September 20th, what do you think would be different if they themselves had experienced homelessness? And how do you think that would change the way they approach our national homelessness crisis. Al, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Michelle and finish with Debbie. Uh, this is my best question by far. Thank you for so much for bringing this into the equation. I love it. It's perfect, um, especially for this forum, for, for this format here. Wow, we would not be here today having this discussion if even fifty percent or thirty percent of the politicians, uh, you know, of the of, of our candidates or our representatives in parliament had the lived experience of homelessness, there would be an urgency built in, like there is with myself and, and Deb and Michelle, uh, to, to do something, like do something now. Um, you know, I, I relayed this uh, on a webinar before. Um, my partner, Shari, who suffers from schizophrenia, PTSD, and I um, got evicted. And we ended up on this in the back end of a burnt out garage with our two cats for several days uh, before we could get into another apartment. And we only got into another apartment because by the grace of God, my colleagues at University of Winnipeg, um, I was not making very much money. I was doing research on that at, at Home Chase Well, uh, got together and had a, and had a, uh, a fundraiser uh, for us. And we were able to get into a, a place in three days with, a, with uh, a first month's rent and down payment. Having gone through that, having gone back into homelessness, um, and if we had not received help, we might still be there. Uh, you, you know, it, having parliamentarians go through that aspect of homelessness, number one, even the 28 months uh, of homelessness, uh, you know, brings you whole, to a whole different level in your life. But, you, but slipping back into homelessness is even worse because you know what can happen and that trauma follows you. Having politicians that understand that would um, bring an urgency to housing gear to income. Absolute urgency. Uh, I had one person tell me who did not have living experience. Well, we have to be patient. Pardon me. Two people died last night. Two homeless folks died last night. You're saying we have to have patience. We do not have to have patience. We have to have urgency. And I think that's the one thing that would that would happen. I also think that voices like ours here around this table would be brought in to the circle, we are making we are making huge progress in, in working with directly with the federal government, uh, and Deb and I are doing that already. But there would be a lot more of that, and and the voice of lived experience uh, and, and those who can articulate um, their experiences would be involved more readily in programming that would uh, uh, affect the, the way our housing solutions uh, come to be right now. And you know we are in a crisis right now. We're doing everything wrong because our numbers are exploding and nothing is working. Um, 
I, 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 our, our world would be so different if this, if, let's, let's just start 10 years ago. Do you think we'd be in this place right now if our politicians 10 years ago had, had all of a sudden uh, got elected with their lived experience? There, nothing would, uh, would, would uh, be more um, uh, gratifying and satisfying to me than to say, have a politician stand on their soapbox and say, I have lived experience of homelessness. Vote for me because I know what you're going through. Thanks. Michelle? How true. I'd like to see one of the politicians or someone from the party to spend one full day trying to find gas, trying to find food, trying to find a shelter, especially in the winter time. Summertime, it's not so bad. You can stay outside. In the winter time, it's even harder. It'd be interesting to see. They'd have a totally different outlook on what it's like if they were to experience it. But I don't see them trying to even say, hey, to one of their colleagues, someone that's not even known in their party, hey, why don't you go try it for one day? Come back, report to me and let me know what it was like for you. Try paying, try getting the gas, try getting the food, try getting this. I don't see them trying to do that. It'd be very interesting if one of their colleagues would come back to say, hey, this is what it's like. This is what we need to do. Maybe then we'll see a big change in some of the parties and get what we need done. Because even trying to get a, an oil change, can't get, afford an oil change, what do you want? Do you want an oil change or do you want food? Do you want food or do you want your animal? Even take your family for the full day, try and find a shelter for a family, try and find a shelter just for yourself. It's hard, even a couple. It's harder now to find shelters that will accept couples. They want to send your man somewhere and you somewhere else. What if your husband or someone is sick and you're the one that's mainly looking after them? You can't do that if you're in two separate places. So it'll be interesting to see if someone had said to them, hey, this is what I experienced on the street. Come with me for one day. I'll show you what it's like they wouldn't be able to handle it. And then they would realize, hey, this is a serious problem and this is what needs to be done. If they did that, it'd be totally a different story on their end up there. I absolutely agree. It would probably, as Al was saying too, right? That's that they might get a greater sense of urgency. Thanks, Michelle. Debbie, what are your thoughts? Well, we I agree with what Michelle's been saying because we've been trying to challenge politicians for years to go out and live on the streets for 10 days and experience what the homeless experience and learn from that and bring that bring what you learned back to the work that you're doing to make positive change and none of our politicians are willing to do it so this is why we keep emphasizing it's really important that um, frontline workers and lived experience need to be at all levels of the decision-making tables. They need to be there. Um, and I agree that there it, it would be different if 50% of our politicians did have lived experience. But my fear also is that I do know some politicians that do have lived experience, but once they got into those positions, the power went to their head and they totally forget where they've come from. And we need people in there with the lived experience that are going to be caring and compassionate and remember where their roots are and where they came from. And that's what's going to help make positive change. Wow, thank you. That, those were three very powerful answers um, to that question. And um, yeah, I'm, I think it was like probably that key question too, because I think it raises a lot of interesting points about how different right? Just imagine a world where not only do they have that lived experience, but Debbie, to your point, where they act on it and they, they wear it on their sleeve in a way that leads to real solutions and, and a better conversation. Um, so before we let you three go, I just wanted to put it out there. If you would like to share um, more information about where folks can go uh, to your websites or to 
um, learn about the projects you're passionate about or a part of. Uh, Michelle, if you have, we'll start with you. If you have, if you want to send our listeners anywhere in particular um, to look at something that you're working on uh, or are passionate about. Yes, I'm part of um, the in team from in from the cold. If you go on uh, Facebook or Instagram, just type in team in from the cold, and you'll scroll down. And you'll see a picture of myself, and it gives a little bio. And then um, Faith Works did a 25 year uh, video, and uh, it's been posted also on Facebook. And there's a little bit more of uh, me on it, telling about my experience of living in a car for. Uh, three weeks and that so it gives a little bit there as well but it's mostly um, the in team and from the cold on Facebook and Instagram that you can find some more information on awesome definitely we'll check that out and Debbie um as it in my introduction it was stated that I am co-chair of the Canadian lived experience leadership network um we have a website uh C-L-E-L, it's a terrible acronym, C-L-E-L-N dot C-A. <laughs> if you visit our website, you can see what kind of things we're doing. Um, we've actually just been funded for, uh, you can join, become a member, share your thoughts with us. Um, we've just uh, been, what's the word I'm looking for? We're... We've got two major projects coming up that are going to be funded actually by the feds. Um, so we're going to be bringing in members into some of that work. Uh, so if people are interested in joining our network and becoming involved, definitely have a look at our website. We also have a Facebook page too. Awesome. Thanks, Debbie and Al. I know you're part of CLELN.ca as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you, can, you can certainly uh, go to the uh, CLELN, probably the worst acronym in history <laughs> to, 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 to go through. But uh, yeah, Devin are, 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 are co chairs of that. And uh, it, it uh, says a lot about what we do. And and uh, more importantly, what it doesn't say is what we are going to be doing, uh, working on federal government projects. And um, currently, uh, currently, um, I'm. Uh, you can look at vote housing. I have to bring that up because I'm so happy to be part of vote housing. Uh, and uh, look up vote housing and, and see what what some of my passion is is there. Uh, I do have a Facebook page under Al Weeb. I do have a LinkedIn page, but uh, you know, you, if you look up Al Weeb anywhere on the internet, I think I've been on there 250 times. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and my um, my my stories will be on there. But, but you know, it, it's it's just important to to know that people are out there doing the work uh, for folks, you know, um, and in whatever uh, line that is, and and you know, we are lucky now to have internet out there. Uh, sometimes I hate it, but we are lucky to have it have the internet out there, so so people can actually uh, see what what we are talking about. You know, you know what we're doing. But um, I, I echo Deb's sentiments. Please um, look up CLELN uh, CA and um, think about signing up. You know, where else can you be part of a a lived experience group that is national in scope and is actually, you know, part of a growing uh, groundswell uh, movement with both housing and other initiatives. And also, I think it's stuff a really big um, plug on this one because when we first got started about a year ago now, um, you did a lot of communications for us and got that and got us up and running. And almost right away, we had like 100 people who had signed up uh, to be members. And, you know, um, it, it's really, really important that the voice of lived experience. Uh, is strong, and the way to make it strong is by numbers, not, not, and, and, and being out there and speaking what needs to be said and talking about what needs to be said, but numbers, numbers make a difference, you know, and so, um, you know, please look us up on CLEL, and, and now um, I'm, I'm, Al Weeb is everywhere on the internet, so, you know, <laughs> take it or leave it, that's, uh, yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, thank again, like all three of you, I appreciate how busy you all are and the work that you're doing is, is so amazing. Um, and so just again, like from the bottom mm -hmm. of our hearts, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and making time. Thank you so much for having us. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.
this great group and Michelle, it's so nice to see someone from York region representing, no pressure. You did a great job. Thank um, you. Michelle talked a lot about uh, oil change in cars, just so to paint for our listener, uh, York region is a massive geographical area with not a lot of transportation. So if you don't drive, it's really, really hard to get around, right? You could drive one, it could take you an hour to get out of York region driving across. There's nine municipalities uh, within it. So it's a big, big area and nice to see uh, all of you here today. It's just a pleasure speaking with you. Well, Steph, you know, I know we have, a, we always say different episodes are our favorites. And during this special, um, group of episodes that we've been doing this is my favorite uh, i don't care if that gets me into trouble uh, i always love hearing from our lived experts because they give us uh you know they they give us uh it straight up and hey man you know like they're saying if you could spend a day and i'll tell you something too Steph. we actually when i was with uh, another group of 360 kids they continue to do it they do a night on the streets and uh here's an interesting story so we had a politician and michelle that he was out of uh, aurora uh, Chris Ballard, he came out and he did a night on the street. We we always chose like the coldest uh, time of year because that's when you're really feeling as Debbie was saying too, hey, you know, uh, and you were saying too, Michelle, in the winter. Um, but one night, so they go from 8 p.m. till 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. the next morning and people are a mess. They're a total disaster. Um, and, and they've been given real scenarios of people who have experienced and tried to follow these scenarios. What happened to him is it moved him so much um, he was an MPP that he started talking about it all the time in, in cabinet and he became the minister of housing with that lens of we've got to, this is urgent. We've got to do more and did a few things in Ontario, not enough, but push things forward. So when we talk about, Hey, would that change things? It can change things. And people do do exactly what Debbie said. I, you know, 10 days, I don't know if they make it through two Debbie, but <laughs> you know, even one can make a difference. Um, you know, another great show. Thank you for joining us, Steph. A pleasure as always. Absolutely. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Hey, 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 hey. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 